0: Michael, this is all
1: very confusing. This is on Mark. It's presented by Darwin Asset Management and Darwin Wealth Management, the podcast where we decrypt and demystify economic, financial, and other investing concepts in 20 minutes or less. I'm Remy, and with me I have Mike Cantino. So if you turned on the radio or opened Apple News or checked your Twitter or whatever you do this morning, you'll know that today is doomsday. Yesterday was doomsday. Tomorrow is doomsday. Next Tuesday is doomsday. Every day is doomsday that seems especially true in the financial world. So today we're going to talk about a group of people with what I think is one of the coolest titles I've heard in a while, the Armageddonists. Sounds like a band. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) If you have any questions, comments, or just want to shout out on the show, email comments at onmarkets.com, or you can hit me up directly at remy at onmarkets.com, which is R-E-M-Y at onmarkets.com. And if you like the show, don't forget to hit the follow button on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or whatever podcast platform you prefer. So let's talk about this band, the Armageddonists. Tino, is this something that you've coined or, or is this a, a common
2: title out there? I wish I had this one under my name. No, this is um, from J.P. Morgan, uh, one of their strategists, Michael Sembalist, I think is his last name. He he published this piece maybe two or three years ago and I came across it and I, I, I loved it because I mean, look, th- it's a lot of fun and it's very easy to go after these doomsday people out there. But he he did. He took it a step further. He just didn't make fun of them in his very professional Wall Street manner. He also tracked the performance of these clowns and showed them, had you listened to these people, you know, the ones that said the world's going to end or the market's going to crash or whatever it was from the date of publication, he showed what the, what the S&P 500 has done or whatever index to show just how much money you would have either lost or missed out on having listened to these people.
1: So let's take an example so our listeners know what we're talking about.
2: Oh, I mean, it's it's hard to pick you know, your favorite child, but um, there's a couple <laughs> that really stand out. I mean, and again, I don't want to name names and, and rip on most of these people that we're talking about here are either very successful or, or have made a name for themselves in some way. I mean, look at Jeff Gunlock. He's one of the, frankly, one of the most well-known bond investors of, of all time. Uh, he's been incredibly bearish on the stock market for as long as I can remember. I mean, it's going back at least 10 years at this point. And maybe it's because he's a bond investor and he wants uh, assets to move to the bond market. I don't know. But there's one chart in here that shows that had you listened to Jeff Gunlock as of 2012 you'd be down, call it 60% through 2019. Uh, If you look through, uh, 20, I'm pulling up the data right now. If you're looking through 2020, end of 2020, you're down over 65%. It's off the chart. So it's, and when let me be clear, when I say you're down, you're underperforming, that is. So had you listened to Jeff Gunlock, you probably would be down on a relative basis over 65%. That doesn't feel good
0: you know, this makes me think of, Tino you know, when you talk about this all the time, you know, what is the motivation behind these types of doomsday predictions, right? What, what do these people get out of this? What, you know, why, why are they so bearish all the time?
2: Yeah. You know, that's, that's, that's ultimately the question, Mike. And I mean, I, it, it. For those who have taken econ 101 classes or microeconomics, uh, the very first lesson they teach you on the very first day, almost always is that we are all self-interested, right? We do things to benefit ourselves and those we love. I and mean, economics is just a study of human behavior. So when you think about that and you set the context based off that, these, most of these people are not money managers. Now I, I mentioned Jeff Gunlock, he's an exception. A lot of these people don't manage money for a living. Uh, so they're gonna make money doing other things. And almost always when you get these emails in your inbox or or you see ads on the on the side of your Facebook page or whatever it might be. Uh, these people are trying to get you to sign up for their newsletter, buy your book, T-shirt, whatever it is. For thirty nine ninety five, get a letter, a newsletter explaining why the world's going to end. You know, the technology behind these ad placements these days. I'm Remy. I'm sure you know more about it than we do. the The technology is amazing. They can tap into your psychological you know, underpinnings and and deliver you an ad that's going to appeal to you. So this is a very powerful way for these people to make money. So the other question
0: then is, why are we so eager to believe the negativity and nothing positive, right? It, it, for some reason, if you're just a, a doomsayer, you're more credible than someone who's optimistic. And it makes no sense, no logical sense to me.
2: Well, I mean, you've, Mike, you've started to read Morgan Housel over the past, I guess, year or so. Um, He's a, a, for those that don't know, he's a very uh, well-known financial writer and is probably one of the best writers out there in general. So he had an article back in 2016 uh, that having prepared for the show, I I just, I just thought about it. So I went back and pulled out three conclusions from this piece that his question that he raised was why pessimism sounds so smart. I think it's exactly what you're asking right now.
0: Yeah. and, And it's actually, it's actually the article I was thinking of. As I was asking you that question, right? It's 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 pessimism sounds intelligent, and, and optimism sounds, for some reason, it sounds naive and, and frivolous and stupid.
2: Yeah. Optimism sounds like a sales pitch. Pessimism sounds like somebody's trying to help you. You know, Pessimism is a call to action, whereas optimism means staying the course. It's it's pitting one versus the other, like you said. And uh, as a result, it, it really it, it does make pessimism sound smart. I mean, most of the time the market goes up, most people are excited and it makes you feel like they're oblivious to what some of the dangers that are around. But ultimately, and we talk about this a lot, there's always risks. There's always dangers out there. I mean, it doesn't really matter how good or bad a market is or or an asset class there's always something that's that are slowing things down like right now i think the economy is very strong and i'm optimistic going forward but it's not going to be a, a clear runway i mean inflation you could point to the fed tightening they could make a mistake there's always something out there so they jump on this stuff and they and they shove it down your throat and they make you think like the world's going to end
1: i also think that the result too right you have to think about the result if i am pessimistic all the time and i'm wrong You know, usually the result isn't that bad. Or what I should say is the investor probably doesn't view the result that bad. Right. It's well, he said this was going to happen. I prepared for it and it didn't happen. But, you know, it's not the end of the world. But when you look at it on the flip side, because you can actually take this to the flip side and say that there is a way to market optimism, look at. Um, the Motley Fool, for instance, right? Or any of these, uh, you know, penny stock pumping up emails that I get every two seconds. You know, those sell too. There's no way you can tell me that that Motley Fool email doesn't go out with, hey, this is the next penny stock. You're going to be a billionaire or whatever. And a million people jump on it and buy that stock, right? So it sells. The problem is that when they're wrong, they get a lot of pissed off people.
0: You mean the rare all in buy alert that's so rare that I get it like twice a day?
1: Exactly. If it didn't work, you wouldn't get it, right? A lot of people are, are jumping on that.
0: Well, people believe in these in these these newsletters, right? They and they, I think they fail to uh, to consider what we're talking about right right now, which is what is the motivation of the person putting out the newsletter. It always reminds me of um, of these these gambling things, right? I'm I'm going to give you my my lead pipe lock for the for the best bets for this weekend's college games, right? And we're gonna we're gonna guarantee our picks, or we're gonna give you your money back, right? And if, you know, for twenty bucks, we'll give you our three sure thing deals. And if, and if they don't, they don't pan out, you know, we'll give you your money back. And you know, I always think to myself, what a great business. I'll just give, you know, I'll just give half of them one pick and I'll give half of them the other pick and, and the ones that are wrong, I'll give them their money back and who cares? I still made a bunch of money, right? It's not like I'm giving them back what they lost taking my advice. i am giving them this weird false sense of security, offering them their money back on my pick as though I've really got something to risk when I have absolutely nothing to risk. It's the same exact thing.
1: So Tino, some of these guys that are, you know, sort of on top of their game, the more famous guys, did they start
2: out this way? You know, that's a really good question. Right?
1: And and I don't wanna and I don't wanna sort of delegitimize these people by, you know, with that comment, but it's sort of implying that they've you know turned into something that that they're not. But I guess my question is, you know, are these people did they sort of get into the media role that they're in now thinking, you know what, this is what I'm going to be? Or did they start out in a totally different role and over the course of time being pressured by maybe outside pressure from a media outlet or something like that, do they sort of evolve into into what they've become?
2: That is a really good question. I think that there are some that just realized that they couldn't hack this business and they decided to, you know, prey on people's wallets. But to your point, Remy, I think that there is a very large number of these doomsdayers who... Look, I mean, a lot of these people are very, very or had been very successful investors. We're talking about billionaires. Jeff Gonlock is not a dumb guy. He's extremely successful. Uh, Stanley Drunkenmiller is another billionaire investor, one of the most famous investors of all time. He's been bearish for as long as I can remember. I'm talking like probably since the financial crisis. I got to think there's a reason for their negativity. And, and you know, a lot of people joke around, well, they're just getting older and you know senile and whatnot. I think there's something deeper going on. You're talking about investors who, uh, for decades, were built on the Benjamin Graham way of investing, value investing. There's a formulaic approach to figuring out the intrinsic value of a company. And then you, figure, you just basically buy that company, you wait for the, for the stock price to rise. And that's how they became billionaires. Their, their version or their way of investing worked incredibly well for a very long time. Then you wake up after the financial crisis and the world really changed. Now you're dealing with zero interest rate environments. You're dealing with the Fed manipulating the bond market. You're dealing with all these different things that are going on, not to mention an influx of really smart people into the business. And have basically eroded their edge away. So now they're sitting around with a playbook, in my opinion, that worked really well for a long time. Now it doesn't work. And they rather than say, I need a new playbook. I think a lot of these very successful people have said, geez, everything's going to hell. Because my old playbook doesn't work anymore. So I think there is a psychological component to a lot of this negativity out there that is more of a function of what made me successful is no longer working.
1: So, Tino, is there a way to know, you know, let's say I'm listening to MSNBC. Somebody comes on, I start to get the, the typical, you know, doomsday scenario that I get every morning. Is there a way that I can go and I can check that person's investments or check you know his his fund's investments to see is he actually invested the way that he's preaching to invest?
2: Actually, there is. When you're a large enough investment firm, uh, most of the time, most of the time you are required to file quarterly your holdings with the SEC. It's called a 13F report. Uh, we do it. Uh, most other money managers across the country have to do it. And uh, now, so you can go on at any time and see what, what, one of these very large hedge fund or long-only funds are invested in, it's not crystal clear. There are a couple of problems. A lot of times they group their holdings together so you don't know exactly what fund owns what. And a lot of times those positions are stale. You know, like I said, it's a quarterly uh, attestation. You know, you know, you don't know that day whether they're short, long, something, but it does give you some insight. And and look, there are a lot of investors out there that do nothing other than follow these big, famous investors. You know, Nelson Peltz is a good example. He's a very well-known investor, very successful. And he takes very large positions and he holds on to them for many, many years. So a lot of people will just attach themselves to people like him who probably aren't going to be trading on a quarterly basis. But the 13F reports are a good place to get started for something like that.
1: And to be clear, I don't think you need to know exactly what they're invested in, but I think you need to know sort of the area, right? So if you get somebody that comes on in the morning and says, you know, the tech sector is going to crash and get out and, uh, you know, whatever, you know, it's easy enough to go on and say, okay, well, is this guy actually invested in the tech sector or
2: not, right? The, the number of times you see, uh, particularly hedge fund managers, but they go on TV and they talk one way or the other. I'm telling you that <laughs> I'm making this up. 70, 80% of the time, they're just talking their own book. They're lean one, one way or the other and they go on TV and they're trying to get some momentum pushing their way. Now, is that legal? Technically speaking, yes. Is it shady? Very much so.
0: How much does that stuff actually work. You know, I was looking at headlines while we were talking uh, on Market Watch, like the first thing you say is, I don't know, some guy says, you know, good luck to all of us, we're going to need it. How much of, of those kinds of things actually influence what really happens, right? I mean, how much of that negativity actually creates real negativity?
2: broadly speaking in the market in the at least here in the US the majority of the investment dollars and i forgot the number let's say it's 70 75% somewhere in that range most of it's institutional money okay so the institutional money uh is not going to read CNBC headlines and freak out and run into their office and sell everything you're going to get that with the clients mike that you meet with a lot of times right the the mom and pop investors who get this stuff they freak out and they panic and what happens ironically is that they'll listen. A lot of times they'll listen to it or, or they'll ignore your advice and say, okay, no, I just can't take this. Something, something bad's going to happen, right? So what do they do? They go out and they sell. And that does tend to, if you can get enough of that, create some short-term volatility. Here's where it gets kind of funny. The institutional investors are just waiting love for it. that to happen. Yeah, they, they love, love it. it right? it's, that's where they make most of their alpha sometimes. They just sit there and wait for the panic to happen. And they say, oh, okay, like right now, the NASDAQ is in a correction mode you' gonna sit there and tell me the growth investors looking at the outlook going forward are just sitting there quietly saying oh geez maybe the maybe the maybe the retail investors are right <laughs> they're just they're predators
0: remember that scene in uh, in in uh, trading places where, where Eddie Murphy's sitting there and they're watching the um the options prices and they're all sitting there and he's like look at him look at him they're panicking look at him they're panicking right and that's what this reminds me of it's it, it, you know and that's what these guys really do I mean it, obviously in a less obvious way but that's what you're talking about
1: and Mike's really dating himself with that.
0: Uh, I, know <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I was actually thinking about it before I said it. Who's going to know what I'm talking
2: about? Probably nobody. <laughs> <laughs>
0: we'll find out what the demographic the, the demographic is
2: of our listeners, I suppose. Well, look, you know, when I got in this business, I I wanted to learn as much as I could about markets. So I bought all the books that had just been released. Like, And this is years ago at this point. But I didn't want to read anything that was older than maybe 18 months. And that was one of the biggest mistakes I think that I made was not using the books that stood the test of time. And I had a really good mentor who shoved down books down my throat that were you know, 40, 50 years old at this point, not just Benjamin Graham, there were other ones. And so I'm, I'm saying this for a reason. I think, Mike, you know, we're joking around about Trading Places and other, and other movies like Wall Street and, and whatnot. But it's interesting that the lessons that you can learn even through comedy uh, that are 30, 40, 50 years old still apply today because you want to know why? Human behavior never changes. It just doesn't
0: listen in the past, you know, again, your comment about the age of that movie is, is, is well taken. But in the past, when I had been having conversations with people about the way things work, I would often refer to that movie because everybody had seen it. And and yes, it was a comedy, but it did actually explain legit principles of, of how at least that at that time, the commodity market worked. So you're right. You could, you could get something out of those things. It's funny. So what's the bottom line? Bottom line is don't listen to anybody, I guess. Yeah. They certainly don't listen. Kind of what it feels like. Yeah, right. It, it really is. Except for us.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd say the bottom line is that, uh, look, these, these fear mongers, these Armageddonists, most of them are emotional predators. They only want one thing and that's to get in your wallet. I mean, I've always had a, a test that I use when I, keep, when I come across these permit bears. It's not very complicated. It's basically I say they carry no weight with me. Unless they can show a time in the past where they made a bullish call and was ultimately correct, once once I see that, then I can consider them impartial. But until then, the stuff that I, I come across, it's all guilty until proven innocent. It's just the, it's the way I operate. So I think we need a, a band name.
0: Yeah, I know, right? The Armageddonists sound like a like a sort of a one hit wonder punk band. You know that you Yeah, it's like a punk band. CBGBs or yeah. something, right? <laughs> I was thinking they sound like this. Kind
1: of <laughs> yeah, was, that <laughs> was that's the mental mental picture I have.
0: I was actually thinking about what song could you come up with for the, for the outro, right?
1: is created and presented by Darwin Asset Management LLC and Darwin Advisors LLC, collectively referred to as Darwin. Darwin does not make any representation or warranties and therefore takes no responsibility as to the accuracy, timeliness, suitability, completeness, or relevance of any information contained in this podcast. Any tax or legal information contained in this podcast is general in nature. Always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. The information presented does not involve the rendering of personalized investment advice. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk and there could be no assurance that any investment or strategy will be suitable or profitable for a client's portfolio. All investment strategies have the potential for profit and loss. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Information presented is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation of any offer to buy or sell the
2: securities mentioned herein.